You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to visit with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com and John Harris from the Texans broadcast crew. Plus, we'll provide your fantasy fix. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with Peter King from MMQB. Now, it's time for 2010 National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King from MMQB on the NFL on TuneIn. Peter, always a pleasure. Let's start with your takeaways from that very physical game between the Steelers and Bengals last night. I, I can't quite accept uh, Ben Roethlisberger standing up and telling ESPN after the game that's AFC North football. If that's AFC North football, then they ought to be forced to secede from the NFL because you can't have these gratuitous shots. You can't have this uh, this taunting prone players on the field. Um, you know, you can't have guys lunging at Antonio Brown, uh, hitting him in the helmet. I mean, it's amazing. Antonio Brown, simply in games against Cincinnati in his career, uh, it, I mean, when is the knockout blow? He's been hit as much as Joe Frazier in the thrill in Manila. I mean, it, it, to me, I think the NFL has to look at games like that. And they have to, I totally agree with the two suspensions out of the game. And they have to simply say, quite honestly, they have to simply say that, look, when stuff like this happens, we're not fining people anymore. Fines don't matter. No one cares about fines. No one cares about $25,000. It's meaningless. And so they've got to start suspending guys the way they suspended Gronk and, they, and the Bengal and the Steeler this weekend. Peter, with Juju Schuster standing over Vontez Perfect, I'm I'm all in with that suspension. Um, that that was that was distasteful, and it wasn't Pittsburgh like neither. But when you have the hit on Antonio Brown in the end zone, let's just say it's the determinative factor of winning the division, or even going to the next the next game in the postseason. You have to dislodge the ball from an Antonio Brown. How do you handle that situation if you're in that in that position? No matter no matter what what the uh, no matter how. How you're coached to play, no matter no matter what you're coached to do, and how aggressively you're told to play, if you launch yourself and hit someone else with your helmet in his helmet, and he is defenseless, or you hit him above the head and neck area, and he's defenseless, I don't think whether you meant it or not. Okay, the baseball history is full of pitchers who've gotten suspended for six games, whatever it is. And I realize the value of one game in football is different than the value, let's say, of one start of a pitcher in baseball. But be that as it may, these, these, this, the game has to be adjudicated differently than it was a few years ago and certainly decades ago. Because there's just too much riding on it, Cordell, in my opinion. There's too many people out there watching these games who watch things like that and they say, I'm, I'm not letting my kid play anything more than flag football. I'm just not doing it. Last night, I got a, uh, a tweet uh, sent to me 
by a former player, and we ended up going offline and talking a little bit. And this guy's married, and he's got a son, and he is he's worried, quite honestly, now. Uh, and he st- he's always been worried, and he's always wondered uh, about what he should do with his son. And, and I, you know, look, there's stories in the paper almost every week of current NFL players saying that they don't want their kids to play. And I, I just am telling you, I don't blame you. I mean, I, I think that, I mean, Drew Brees told me on my podcast, I will not allow my kids to play tackle football until at least high school. And, you know, I, I think that that's a smart way to do it. And, again, I'm not trying to play anybody's parent. I'm not, I'm not doing that at all. I'm simply saying that, you know, this is going to be more and more parents across the United States who are going to be hearing from their kids, let me play, let me play. And they're going to say, you're crazy. I'm not letting you play. This is starting to become an existential question connected yeah. to the future of football. Taking you around the league with Peter King of the MMQB. Peter used to cover the Giants before you went to Sports Illustrated. You know the franchise very well. What's your reaction to everything that's been occurring in New York over the last seven days? Um, you know, I've never in my life seen uh, a uh, seen uh, a player named Sentimental win a game. And that's what I'm worried about right now with the Giants. If they put Eli Manning back in the game, you're two and ten. You've got a you've got a third round quarterback sitting there who's an intriguing prospect. And I, I've no I, I don't care anything about playing Geno Smith, but I care if I'm the New York Giants. I want to see uh, Davis Webb for three or four games down the stretch. There's probably nothing he can do to prevent you from picking a quarterback high in this draft. But, you know, how do you know? If you've never seen him on the field, how do you know? You know, And that's what's happened right now with Christian Hackenberg. I don't care whether you think he's ready or you think he's not ready or whatever. Put him in the friggin' game. It's been 28 games since Christian Hackenberg was the 51st pick by Mike McCagnan in the 2016 draft. In those 28 games, 26 of them, he's been inactive. Two of them he's dressed for, and he's never gotten off the bench. You know, at some point, you're you're these teams, and you have to be thinking, what are we doing, really? And that's why, to me, if I'm the Giants, I'm playing Davis Webb the last four games of the year. Now, uh, about what they did, I mean, McAdoo had to go. He's a non-communicative, stubborn guy who's Ray Hanley 2.0. That's 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 the fact. Uh, he's a nice guy. Everybody in the building loved him, but he should not be an NFL head coach. Period. Jerry Reese. He's a great, loyal, wonderful guy who everybody in the Giants in the organization really liked. Total professional. But two things about Jerry Reese. You cannot be the general manager of a franchise of a New York team and talk to the press twice a year for 30 minutes apiece. You can't do it. It's ludicrous. And you take the drafts from 2009 to 2013, five drafts. That should be the backbone, the veteran backbone of your team right now. In those five drafts, the Giants took 38 players. Two of them are currently on the Giants roster. So Jerry Reese had to go. 
now the Giants have to get it right with who they pick, uh, you know, to take their places. And they'll do the traditional Giant way. They've done it for 39 years. General manager first, then the general manager and Amara. First it was Wellington who worked with George Young on this, and then now it's John. They will uh, pick the coach together. Peter, I love the passion on that one. Uh, let's talk about the passion on the sideline in Buffalo with Josh McDaniels and, and Tom Brady. Where are they and what have you heard about that altercation at on the sideline? Well, I mean, I guess I look at it this way, Cordell. I, I you know, look, you have been in the arena. You have, I'm sure, felt like undressing the, your coordinator, your quarterback coach at times, or maybe even Bill Cower on the sidelines at Many times. times. I don't know, yes. but... I guess I look at it this way. When you've won five Super Bowls, okay, and when you uh, are the greatest quarterback of all time, and when everything that you have done has been the team, the team, the team, and uh, when all of that is true and you have a six-second flare-up on the sidelines in which McDaniels barks at you and then you bark back at him and do a few F-bombs, I don't know. I chalk that up as I don't really care because I know both those guys pretty well. I, I shouldn't say I know them pretty well. I know both those guys. And I know that they have the kind of relationship where they can do that stuff and they come to work the next day and they're okay. So I'm not really bothered by it. Peter, as always, we value the insights. Have a great week, and we'll chat with you on Sunday on NFL First and Goal on TuneIn Premium. Thanks very much, guys. Really appreciate it. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Let's say all you want to do is listen to a little sports talk on TuneIn, but all you hear is a lot of noise with Bose QC35 wireless headphones, too. You just flip a switch, and suddenly sports talk is coming through loud and clear. Bose QC35s are engineered with world-class noise cancellation, hassle-free wireless technology, up to 20 hours of battery life. Lose the noise, lose the wires, lose yourself in sports talk. Visit Bose.com slash NoHuddle to experience Bose QC35 headphones too today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next up on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we focus on football in Houston with Texan sideline analyst John Harris. John, as always, we appreciate the time. Let's start under center. Now that we have a larger sample size to evaluate Tom Savage, have you seen improvements since he got the starting job? Well, I think it would be difficult not to, considering how the game against the Colts went. But I think Tom has gotten better and better. He threw for 365 last week. And in a game in which the Texans couldn't run the football at all. I mean, Tennessee basically said, you're not going to run the football. Savage is going to have to beat us. And he almost did. 365, 31 of 49. And he threw the interception on, on the last play after a huge 4th and 19 conversion. But, you know, he took a shot for the end zone. And I, I didn't have a problem with it. But Tom's come a long way, a really long way. And, and here's the thing to keep in mind, because people here in Houston seemingly have, have lost sight of this. And, and I think Cordell could probably speak to this at some point. They had already changed the offensive line. So there were two pieces that moved on the offensive line. He had lost Bruce Ellington, Braxton Miller, running back Alfred Blue. His one other receiver, Chris Thompson, had gone out in the first half. He was down basically to DeAndre Hopkins, Steven Anderson at tight end slash wide receiver, Andre Ellington, who had been there for about a week and a half, and Chris Thompson, 
who's played probably all of about 20 plays at wide receiver this year as a rookie. That's all he had for essentially the last three quarters of that game, and he nearly pulled it out in the end. I think Tom Savage has come a long way. It just hasn't been good enough in the red zone, and I think that's the one thing that separates him from being, I think, a true starter in the NFL. If he could be better in the red zone, I think there would be a lot of teams, Houston included, very interested in what he could do going forward. Give me your take on uh, Deshaun Watson. Where is he right now as far as rehab is concerned? Well, it looks like, Cordell, he's going to be ready to go for 2018. I mean, it's weird. Social media is kind of a strange beast because you end up seeing everything that he's going through in the locker room. And the other day he Snapchat, Snapchatted, he chat snapped. I don't know what you call it, but <laughs> he snapped a video of J.J. Watt and himself dancing in the, in the uh, training room. And as you remember seeing that, feeling kind of sad, like, man, those guys look so happy. And I think the happiness came from they had each other to kind of, kind of get through the injury. But the other part of me was like, man, I could really use you two on the field right about now. And that's the thing. The Texans could use those two and about a dozen others. Sunday was about as body bag a game as I've ever seen. We had five guys leave with concussions. At one point, we only had 36 position players available for the remainder of that game. And yet still somehow pulled it out against the team that's 8-4 at their place. Chatting with John Harris from the Texans Radio Network and the Texans Team Channel here on TuneIn. John, thank you for giving us the mitigating circumstances that led to a bizarre conclusion in Tennessee. Take us through that endgame sequence when Tom Savage is trying to drive down the field and your team is moving in the wrong direction because of the changes on the offensive line. John, I don't think I've ever seen that many false starts on one series. It was the craziest thing I've seen, I've been around football a long time, and I've seen crazy lateral plays and Hail Marys and whatever else. I saw some quarterback throw one like 75 yards in the air one time, like in this place called Michigan, and that was wild. I'd never seen that before. But it was fourth and four, and the Texans were down by four. And Jeff Allen, who had moved from guard out to tackle and actually had done a pretty good job, he just started moving early. And, and I think at that moment, Jeff looked out there and he saw, you know, Brian Arakpo, and, and he knows Rack is quicker than he is. He's trying to get a little bit of a jump. But also one of the things the Texans actually have done this year, which not many people have talked about and even locally have mentioned it, but Nick Martin sometimes is, a, is just a half a beat slow with the snap when they're going silent count. Well, at that point they were going trying to go with a verbal count, and he, he then false started. Well, then the Tennessee crowd got jacked up. So then they still kept going with a verbal count, and he jump-started, he false-started again, and then he did it a third time. And we're like, oh, man, this game was, was right there. Go down, score a touchdown, and win. It's fourth and 19. Oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? And then Savage throws an incredible ball to Steven Anderson gets the first down. I mean, the emotion meter was all over the place. He just picks it up. they got to review it. It stands. Like, oh, my gosh, they could win this in the next play's interception. I've never seen three false starts in a row like that on the same guy. And Bill O'Brien said, look, they weren't all on Jeff Allen. He actually played pretty well. But three of them in a row, I, I don't think I'd ever seen that before. At that point, I don't know, maybe it should be a rule that you mandatorily have to punt after that. But thank God they didn't because Savage and Anderson came up with a huge play just after it. You mentioned Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt actually being in the training room, getting themselves together, jumping around or what have you. But J.J. Watt was named the co-sports person 
of the year by Sports Illustrated. Uh, how big of a, an award is that for him and, and, and what's being talked about in the locker room based on the things he's done along the time in which that city in Houston needed during the time of, of the uh, catastrophe and hurricanes that was taking place in that, in that community? Well, you guys know professional athletics. Guys get traded, drafted to places they've never been. Uh, they never thought about going. And here you have J.J. Watt from Wisconsin who is drafted on draft night in his booth. And he comes to Houston, and you're thrown into this city that is completely foreign because I've done that before. I've been the Wisconsin kid who moves to Houston. I did that back when I was 11, and I thought I was coming to a foreign country. And I guarantee you, J.J. probably felt that same way. And now that I've been here for 34-plus years, I am a Houstonian. And I can say, and I know a lot of people feel this around the country, that when a player comes and he embraces your city, you grow attached to him that much more because you feel like now he's one of your own. And that's the way this city feels about J.J. Watt. They feel like he's one of our own that he is so proud to be a Houston Texan. Jose Altuve is so proud to be a Houston Astro. And that there's such pride in playing for the organization in our town. And that, I think, to me, spoke volumes uh, of everything that they did. And, look, we were, we were in New Orleans and had gotten uh, forwarded on to Dallas, basically, because we couldn't get to Houston. And J.J. called up Amy Palsik, head of our PR department, and said – I'm just going to do this and see what happens. And it was to start a fund. And he put a hundred grand in it. He wanted 200 grand and he had 200 grand in five minutes. It just kept going up and up and up. And what he has done for the city, the way that he claims the city is his own and the, and the city claims him back to me, I think it's a beautiful thing. And I think it's a great thing. And to see that last night at Fallon, it was really, it was really cool. And I got to admit, it brought a tear to my eye being a true Houstonian now being here 30-plus years. Amazing work and a well-deserved honor. John, let's wrap it up with the next game on the schedule. Texans hosting the Niners on Sunday. What kind of challenge do you think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to present San Francisco coming off their win on the road in Chicago? Well, I know the last time that I was with you guys, we saw the Texans against Jimmy Garoppolo. And we got to see him at training camp for a few days. So I think that's going to help a little bit. And then had a preseason game against him where the Texans picked off Garoppolo that led to the game-winning touchdown. It's preseason. It's different. It's going to be a different scheme. But at least you get some of the, the, some of the nuance in facing Garoppolo. It's a quick release. He's not scared to get out of the pocket and run if he needs to. Uh, you're going to have to contain him and, and hem him in the pocket. The only good thing, if there is one, is that San Francisco struggles in the red zone and struggled last week in the red zone as much as the Texans did. So from that standpoint, the Texans can at least put a couple touchdowns on the board. That's going to give them a big advantage. But, hey, look, it's a game the Texans, I don't want to say they should win because they should have gone to Baltimore and got hammered. But they were in that ball game, and you can make case could have won, should have won. They went to Tennessee, and if they get one break and go their way down the stretch, they beat an 8-4 and team with all they had going against it. So if they can go in there relatively healthy, get a couple guys back off the injury report, I think they're going to go in there and compete and give everything they got, even at 4-8. and eight. And it won't matter that San Francisco is 2-10 and 10 or whatever it is. They're going to go compete because that's what this team has done. They stuck together ever since the time of the Greenbrier, all through all the injuries, through all the ups and downs, and they compete. They just don't score a lot of points. So if they can score just a few more this week, they'll have a chance to win this game. 
John, as always, we appreciate the information. Watch out for the popo with the sirens in the background, and we'll chat with you next week on the NFL on TuneIn. You got it, guys. I don't think they're after me, though, which is a good thing. <laughs> See you guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Goal, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. From week one to week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me taking you from game to game. We'll have home calls as teams are threatening to score. Fake it to block. Brady tosses. Touchdown! Hear every big play. Hear every game-winning drop. Here's a touchdown. Here's a touchdown. Catch NFL first and goal every Sunday starting at 1 Eastern only on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's spotlight America's team back in playoff contention with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com. Mickey, we have not chatted since the victory over Washington on Thursday night. How encouraging was it to see the Cowboys finally run the football effectively without Ezekiel Elliott? Thanks to Alfred Morris. Yeah, I think that certainly helped them out. Uh, offensively to get some semblance of a running game going. And uh, Alfred Morris seemed to get in rhythm, uh, and that certainly uh, helped out. Obviously, it wasn't a huge offensive performance, even though uh, they ended up with the 38 points. But they made some plays, and I think a lot of that had to do with not only Alfred Morris running the ball well, but getting that offensive line healthy again. They had their starting five back in there. I think Tyron Smith was a lot better after uh, trying to play the, the previous game through that groin strain that kept him out of uh, two games. They got Zach Martin back on the field. And I thought uh, Lael Collins did a wonderful job at right tackle after not practicing uh, all week. Uh, he was having some back issues and got out there and really gutted out. And I thought the offensive line did a much better job of controlling the tempo of the game, uh, allowed Alfred Morris to run well, and allowed uh, Dak Prescott to make some key throws in the game. And while they only threw for 102 yards, he made some key plays, key throws, couple of touchdown passes and probably would have had another one had Des Bryant not been interfered uh, with in the end zone. So wh- however it happened, after you lose three in a row, uh, you guys know how good it is to finally win a game and it kind of changes your entire outlook. Yeah, it does. It kind of take a little pressure off you to, to stop from forcing to have to play great as you move forward after getting a good win and losing so many in a row. But Dak Prescott, I thought, uh, looked like he had a little bit more energy and he looked like he took the game in control. It wasn't the greatest numbers in the world, but I think the production and the energy was something that they needed because over the past few weeks, it's been kind of flat. Do you see the same way? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, Cordell, that first that first quarter, uh, I must admit, I was sitting there as they went out three and out uh, four consecutive possessions and I'm going oh, man, I've seen this picture before, and it was like it was starting to be the same old thing. And then if you noticed, uh, they were they were up at it again, the fifth possession, and it was third down, and uh, Dak runs for third, 13 yards, got him the first down. Finally, the first first down, uh, it was in uh, late in the, in the first quarter, and it seemed to just kind of ignite the offense, and it got it rolling, and, and they started putting things together. And, yeah, he struggled early in the game, and he just seemed like he was pressing. Uh, 
Uh, he was he just wasn't comfortable. He wasn't in rhythm. And then all of a sudden, with that run, they got the first down. They went on to score, and it thing, seemed like things just kind of uh, smooth out after that. And and they kind of got going a little bit offensively uh, where they've been struggling. And then you know the other thing that happened is the defense uh, really uh, stepped up. They got a turnover. Uh, they get the punt return. Uh, for a touchdown. So there were a lot of facets in the game that helped turn that around uh, and prevented them from losing their fourth straight game uh, with Ezekiel Elliott suspended. Chatting with Mickey Spagnola, DallasCowboys.com, the Cowboys team channel here on TuneIn as well. Mickey, let's look ahead to Sunday's game. How much do you think the return of Eli Manning to the starting lineup could change the dynamic of this matchup coming up at the Meadowlands between the Giants and the Cowboys? I think the Cowboys have to uh, be prepared and worry uh, somewhat about walking into a hornet's nest. Uh, sometimes when you change coaches like that uh, in the middle of the stream, uh, you bring back the starting quarterback. I think everybody thought uh, was wrong by uh, being benched. Uh, they're going to have an emotional spark. And I think what the Cowboys have to be aware of is that's going to happen. And, and you better be ready for that first quarter. Uh, because there's going to be an emotional charge there, and they're going to come out all fired up, and you better be able to stand what they're going to throw at you, uh, I think, early in the game. And if you can do that, then maybe things settle down in the second quarter uh, or as you go forward, and then it comes down to basically the talent and that emotion maybe uh, subsides as long as you don't let them get going. And the Cowboys certainly, uh, you know, have have some background on this because if you remember back in 2010 uh, when Jerry Jones fired Wade Phillips after eight games, uh, the Cowboys were one and seven. They had lost five straight. Uh, the last three games they had given up 121 points, and uh, Jerry said, "Okay, I think we need a new voice." Uh, fires Wade Phillips, promotes Jason Garrett, uh, the offensive coordinator, to an interim uh, head coach, and they ended up going to. Where else? The New York football Giants, uh, and they ended up winning the game 33-20. to 20. Uh, The Giants were 6-2 and two at the time, and it just kind of gave the Cowboys somewhat of a spark. I don't think Jason was some sort of miracle worker that was going to turn everything around, but you know what? The last eight games of the season, they ended up going 5-3. and three. Uh, So sometimes when you make a change like that, it shakes guys up, and they realize, you know what? We're losing, we're losing but there's going to be a new sheriff in town at some point. There's going to be a new GM. And by golly, I better not put down any bad tape or I might not be back next year either. Mickey, there's a tremendous amount of good football that's being played within the NFC. Um, Give me your take on the hopes of this Cowboys team having a a legitimate chance of of actually squeaking into the postseason. Well, squeaking is probably a good verb to use because you know, even if they went out, and I think they realize they have to run the table and get the 10 and 6, uh, that that doesn't assure them of anything. And you're right. Uh, all of a sudden, the, a lot of these teams that seem to be struggling uh, are playing much better. And sitting there at 6 and 6, they're going to need some losing to go on uh, ahead of them. I think that, you know, obviously, uh, if, if, you know, people were a Cowboy fan and, and looking at the Sunday night game with Philadelphia and Seattle, you're sitting there going, well, Philadelphia can beat them and, you know, keep Seattle from getting further away. Uh, if they win, then that's certainly going to help out the Cowboys. Well, you know, the one time I would imagine Cowboy fans were pulling for the Eagles, uh, they let them down, they get beat, 
and, and now you've got two teams in the wild card bid right now uh, sitting there at eight and four. Uh, and so, and basically, uh, Philadelphia now has got to get going because they're only one game ahead. Uh, if they're if they're looking at the home field uh, advantage during the playoffs and having the best record in the NFC, so they're going to have to play, and that'll include that final game of the season where I think there was some thought of you know they had everything wrapped up the way they were going along uh, that oh maybe they wouldn't play that game and the Cowboys can go up there and, and sneak a victory, but. That's certainly not the case. So, yeah, you're exactly right. But I think they're taking the right attitude at this. It's like you can't win five in a row unless you win two in a row. So you just better take care of Wednesday's practice, uh, take care of the next game, and not look at the big picture, but keep it, keep it you know, segmented into we got to do this, we got to do this, and we got to do this. And I heard Jerry Jones even say it uh, today on his radio segment here locally, and I'm thinking, boy, Jason Garrett's really rubbing off on the owner because he basically said the same thing, that we got to just worry about having a good practice on, on Wednesday. Mickey, as always, we appreciate the insights. Thanks for the time, and we'll chat with you next week on the NFL on TuneIn. Sounds good, guys. Good to be with you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Let's say all you want to do is listen to a little sports talk on TuneIn, but all you hear is a lot of noise with Bose QC35 wireless headphones, too. You just flip a switch and suddenly sports talk is coming through loud and clear. Bose QC35s are engineered with world-class noise cancellation, hassle-free wireless technology, up to 20 hours of battery life. Lose the noise, lose the wires, lose yourself in sports talk. Visit Bose.com slash no huddle to experience Bose QC35 headphones too today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for the Fantasy Fix with Michael Fabiano of NFL Network. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him off to the 30, he's gone! He's gone, what a move! It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. He goes to the near side. And it's picked off! Intercepted! From the fantasy heroes. Down the middle, it's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the fantasy fix. We are pleased to be joined by an old friend, one of the best in the business, the Hall of Famer, Michael Fabiano. Fabs, thanks for taking the time. Let's start with the fallout from that very intense Monday night football game with Juju Smith-Schuster now suspended for Sunday night football between the Steelers and the Ravens. Would you pick up Martavis Bryant this week? The matchup isn't great. Uh, the Ravens' defense, though, obviously took a hit when they lost Jimmy Smith for the season. Martavis, to me, would be a PPR flex option because you would believe that there should be an increase in terms of the volume of the targets that he'll see. Uh, but you never know with those with those uh, AFC North contests. Could be a low-scoring game, but again, because of the opportunities potentially increasing with Juju out for that week, well, Martavis is now on the radar. Mike, Josh Gordon is back for the Cleveland Browns. Give me your thoughts on his debut and how is his value moving forward? He looked good. I mean, you come into a game you haven't played since 2014. Uh, you scored double-digit PPR points, standard leagues, uh, with single digits, but still a nice performance. He was on the field for close to 70% of the snaps, led the Browns in targets, which means what? They're going to throw him the football. So he goes from being a player that you add off the waiver wire and sort of see what happens to a player you now start because he's got a great matchup this week against the Green Bay Packers. And if the volume of targets 
continues as it did last week, Josh Gordon should put up a nice stat line. Michael, I'm sure we have listeners who now have to try to replace Rob Gronkowski, whose suspension has been upheld. What advice would you give them? Well, you can't replace Rob Gronkowski. Um, And if you're looking to pick up someone off the waiver wire, it's probably quite thin at this point. Cameron Brait, maybe he was dropped uh, because he had seen his numbers sink before last week when Jameis Winston came back. Ricky Seals-Jones has got a good matchup this week. He could be another potential option off the waiver wire. But one thing we have learned this year, guys, is that the tight end position is extremely thin. And when you lose a player of Gronkowski's status, even if it's just for one week, it's very difficult to replace that player. So any of these potential options off the waiver wire, depending on how competitive your league is. Uh, These guys are are one-week streamers at best. In the second consecutive year for Matthew Stafford, his hand, uh, if he's out or even limited, does the value of the receivers in Detroit change at all? Oh, yes. No question about that. Um, Stafford being out this week would put a serious hit on the value of Golden Tate, Marvin Jones. Now, Stafford is out there. Uh, that could even potentially still hurt their value a little bit, depending on how this hand injury is going to affect Stafford. Does it affect uh, his accuracy? Does it affect his deep ball? Because all things being equal, the matchup this week could not get any better for the Detroit Lions. Golden Tate would dominate against the Buccaneers. They have really struggled against slot receivers. Marvin Jones has been very hot in recent weeks. Uh, slowed last week until Jimmy Smith went out and then put up some pretty decent numbers. So Matthew Stafford's status is going to be a big news story in the world of fantasy football in the first week of most fantasy league playoffs. Fantasy Fix being provided by our pal Michael Fabiano, NFL Network. Mike, we have a tweet for you from a great handle, Beer Almighty 3. <laughs> Watch you to dissect between these receivers, Ginn Jr., Sanu, Bryant, or Goodwin. Uh, Sanu would be the player that I would go with first if I was to pick between those four. Although Goodwin's a nice sleeper. Uh, If you look at the matchup this week, San Francisco's going to Houston. They've really had a hard time covering wide receivers. And Goodwin has looked good, and he has also seen lots of targets. And it did appear last week that he has a rapport with Jimmy Garoppolo. So if you want to go the sleeper route, Goodwin would be the play there. But Sanu, also a nice option. Is Blake Borders a guy you can consider using if you're in a pinch? Not this week. Um, Seattle's defense is, is still tough. I understand that they've lost a couple of DBs, some very important DBs in Cam Chancellor and, of course, Richard Sherman. But this is a defense that stepped up and all but shut down Carson Wentz last week, shut down Alshon Jeffrey for the most point last week. Um, only Nelson Aguilar had any kind of success against them. So Bortles is someone who I believe is more of a matchup-based starter. Now, in the last two games, He's had good matchups, and he has delivered on those matchups. But to play him in the first week of the fantasy postseason in standard leagues where you don't have a super flex or a 2QB format, that is a little too rich for my blood, guys. And there's a lot of good quarterbacks out there this season. I mean, Case Keenum is out there. Uh, Josh McCown has played extremely well, too. So I do believe that most people would be able to find a better option than Bortles this week because of that matchup. Mike, Peyton Barber of the Bucks had 100 rushing yards on the road at Green Bay on Sunday. How much confidence do you have in him moving forward? 
I'd fire him up as long as Doug Martin is on the sidelines. Uh, Detroit's defense, listen, they can be had against the run. We saw that last week with Alex Collins, who rushed for a couple of touchdowns against him. And Barber looks like a featured back. And if Martin cannot suit up this week, well, then Peyton Barber is maybe not a must-start, but he's a damn good flex option at the very least. Let's talk about the 49ers and a new addition to that team. And I'm not talking about the group, neither new addition. I'm talking about Jimmy <laughs> Garoppolo. Give me your take on his start. Uh, and How did he do? And, and how is his receiver going to hold up when it comes down to their value right now? Well, Garoppolo looked good to me. It didn't lead the team to a touchdown, but five field goals and, and a win. I mean, 49er fans will take that. And it was uh, interesting to hear Carlos Hyde become the first 49er to compare him to a young Tom Brady. And we know that Garoppolo learned under Bill Belichick and Brady for several years in New England. And that's part of the reason why I, I like him, obviously, more in dynasty leagues at this point. But even as a potential streamer, there's a lot of leagues out there that start two quarterbacks or have a super flex. And the matchup this week, again, against Houston, is pretty favorable for the 49ers' offense in terms of the passing game. They've been tough against the run, but uh, the Texans have struggled against quarterbacks and wide receivers. So Garoppolo is certainly a potential streamer this week, and it's going to be very interesting to see what he does moving forward uh, because his value at this point right now is of a QB2. If he plays well over the next three or four weeks, we could see his value rise looking ahead to 2018 drafts. Um, and he'll also have some improved weapons in the pass attack, you would think, with Pierre Garcon coming back in 2018 and potentially the Niners adding some weapons there. So he's an interesting player right now for fantasy fans to watch. And again, a good streamer this week based on the matchup. Finally, Mike, after a quiet performance on the road in Seattle, any concern about the Eagles' offense as they match? up against the very tough L.A. Rams defense on Sunday. I do have concern, and we talked about this on NFL Fantasy Live today. If you look at how quarterbacks have fared in Los Angeles against the Rams, it hasn't been good. The best quarterback finish against the Rams in L.A. has been Russell Wilson, and he was the QB 20. And we're not talking about curtain jerkers here. Drew Brees had a bad game in Los Angeles. Kirk Cousins had a bad game in Los Angeles. Now, I'm not telling you to sit Carson Wentz. I'm telling you to temper your expectations. And if you have depth at the quarterback position, you might want to consider putting Wentz on the sidelines this week. As good as he's been, the Rams have been tremendous at home against the pass. This is one of those games where we could see a low-scoring affair. The Eagles defense starting to kick it up a little bit as well. And that Rams defense, like I mentioned, at home, they are extremely affordable. Finally, Michael, because we don't have the pleasure of chatting with you every week, let's wrap it up with a couple hard-hitting questions. How are you doing in the vaunted NFL Network League? Is Matt Smith going to win that thing again? <laughs> you know what? He might. Let's put it that way. Um, we actually had our last playoff spot filled last night. Uh, Akbar beat me by, I believe, seven points to knock me out. Um, sometimes you score a lot of points and you don't win a lot of games. Unfortunately, that's what happened to me this season. Uh, eight leagues, I made the playoffs in seven. That was the one that I missed oh. out. But oh, money... Man is always a contender, no question about that. Maurice Jones-Drew is always always a contender as well, so it'll be very interesting to see how that all plays out. Finally, because I build you as a Hall of Famer, Cordell asked me before we turn the mics on, <laughs> what does one receive when you're inducted into the Fantasy Hall of Fame? Do you get a crown? Do you get a scepter? How do you roll, Mike? You know what? Either one of those would be pretty cool options. Uh, you basically receive a speech at a banquet and a plaque. 
That's, that's it? it. I don't get a bus somewhere in Canton. Uh, I get a plaque that's hanging on the wall someplace at home. But uh, to me, it's it's more of just the honor of being uh, inducted. That uh, no, I know, that, but you're being that makes it special. I want you to have a prop. I want you to have a gold jacket. Come on, Fabs, work on this. You know, I mean, listen, you know where the NFL Network is. Feel free to send one over. I will wear it. I will tweet it out, and I will thank you for it, my friend. Hey, I've not been there for some congrats. time. Mike, I should come by. Yes, Cordell? I will say yeah, congrats. Absolutely. To congrats to you, buddy. All right, man. I appreciate Always it. Always a pleasure, Michael. Thank you. Have a good one, guys. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.